happiness conundrum. I kind of like the fact that it's a mystery. I struggle with it and everyone does. It's part of being a human. My 105 and a half year old grandma Lil says, this too shall pass. I don't know if you're gonna see this voice by me. I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy? Podcast. Coming up on 39 years in online technology from the Commodore 64 to your favorite search engines. He not only writes, he loves animals, people, and he has oh so many talents. So without further ado, let's meet Lane Ellis. Lane, how are you today? I'm blissed out, Vanessa. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here. After all, you seem like a very, very happy individual. So tell us, what is it that makes you so happy these days? Well, people say I'm one of the happiest people they know. And so I'm super excited to be here with you, Vanessa. Right now, I'm at this very moment, super excited about a blizzard. We have a blizzard here in Duluth, Minnesota. We're expecting about two feet of snow. And I think part of being happy is just learning to embrace. Well, in Duluth, Minnesota, you have to learn to embrace the cold and the snow because we have long, difficult winters. And I definitely love the cold. So this blizzard is is a lovely thing to me. I'm going to go out and do some cross-country skiing a little bit later today. And so that, and it's our first really big storm of the year. So that's what I'm happy about right now. Well, that's amazing. I've never come across anyone that embraces the cold with such happiness, but I love it. (laughs) And I'm so curious about Minnesotans. I have an aunt in Minnesota, but just Minnesotans in general and just the way that you guys, you know, keep it all together and you're so positive and, and driven. So what is it about Minnesotans and the cold that just keeps them moving forward all of the time? That's a good question. You know, people say Minnesota is a bit of an outlier in the country. Some people say it's Scandinavian heritage, but that's less and less so. People are moving to Minnesota from all over the country. It's kind of a climate refuge up here in Duluth anyway. I think there is something to the harsh weather, if you can survive it, kind of giving you an interesting outlook. It's certainly different than, say, living in Kauai or San Diego or something. (laughs) Yeah, Minnesotans have always kind of come from traditionally like farmer backgrounds. My ancestors were farmers in southern Minnesota. Yeah, so it's hard to say, really, but I do love the cold and I I love Duluth, Minnesota. I've been here for 24 years, moved here in 1994 from Colorado. Was it work that brought you from Colorado to Minnesota? It was not. More family connections. I'm super fortunate to have my grandma still living. She's 105 and a half years old. My grandma, Lily, Lily Halderson. And we used to visit her as a family on holidays and sometimes on summer trips coming out from Colorado to Duluth. And I always liked it here. When it was time for a change after growing up in Colorado, I made the decision to move to Duluth. And I liked it so much. I've I've stayed ever since and I don't ever plan to leave. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a good plan. I mean, it seems like a good area. And I swear I've never met a Minnesotan that was not proud of where they came from. So there must be something good (laughs) going on there. So we'll try to keep that a secret. Now, I'm curious. You mentioned earlier that people say you're the happiest person that they know. Well, why is that? Boy, it's a bit of a mystery. The whole happiness 
conundrum, the great circle of happiness. I kind of like the fact that it's a mystery. I, I feel very fortunate to be on that circle of happiness. Sometimes I think, how did I get so lucky? But I think part of it is the effort that we make to make ourselves happy. Part of it's the circumstances we're in, our family we grew up with, our friends. Also, I think part of it is the things that we purposely set aside in our lives, some of the negative things, and knowing that you can do that, that you can set certain things aside to improve your happiness. A lot of that comes with age. I'm 54 years old, and I think I, my happiness, I would say, definitely started blossoming into kind of new territory ever since I went into my 30s and 40s, and, and even more so now in my 50s. So it's a mystery, but thank goodness for happiness, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, well, for you, where you are, it's definitely important. So I'm curious, though, along your life path, just pulling, you know, particular stories or examples from your life path, do you just wake up happy every day? And did it take time to get there? And is there a certain moment in life where things just pivoted and you just started waking up happy every day? Well, I don't wake up happy every day right away, but I can kick it into gear almost without fail unless, you know, it's a tragedy or a death or something where you can use your happiness in a different way to help you to help you mourn. The happiness comes in handy there as well, I think, in our lives. It was it was a gradual shift to happiness for me. I mean, I've always considered myself a happy person, but I guess it's just fostering things that bring me happiness, like the mushroom foraging I've started in the last 10 years or so and setting aside things that maybe don't give me so much happiness. Like in the year 2000, I stopped watching TV. Wow. Oh, yeah, I know. 20 three years now of no TV <laughs> coming up and it's open time for so many other things. Yeah. Does that include movies as well or just TV? Once in a while, my wife, Julie, will have me watch a movie. <laughs> the only things that I have watched on TV have been, I'm a big fan of cross-country skiing and marathon running. Mm -hmm. So the Olympics, when they come around, I, I have to watch the marathon and the ski races and the 5K and the 10K. <laughs> now, do you watch curling? Because I love curling. I love watching. Hey, now there is a Duluth sport. Some of the Olympic curling team is from here in Duluth. I watched a little at the Olympics. I'm trying to learn more about it and I want to go try it. We have some friends who do it. So there's, yeah, curling. Uh, have you ever tried it? No, but I've seen it and I'm fascinated by it. Maybe I have tried it. I'm not 100% anymore, but I don't know what it is about watching it. Sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's a curling rink just out just a couple blocks from me where I am right now and you can go and have a drink and watch it they have bleachers a heated section you don't have to be down in the cold I'm going to Duluth <laughs> come visit and I'll take you curling I will need to do and this is on the list it's on the list well I'm from Texas so we don't really do a whole lot of cold sports I mean you see hockey sure but, right but not really much emphasis on that there's an emphasis on football things like that of course I've always thought that ice skating was cool and I've never done that so I've always wanted to do that bit limited opportunities there yeah except for snowpocalypse of 2020 was that 2021 oh yeah yeah that was horrendous you know I mean beautiful snow but now you kind of have this like little PTSD when you see the snow because you're like okay are you going to disable me and and make it to where my family is freezing or are you going to be the pretty snow that just kind of you know comes down and just lays there so not sure but we just had tornadoes we just had four of them <laughs> oh yes you've got your own challenging weather that's for sure 
Yes. Yesterday we were in a meeting and the tornadoes came through. And just as I said, okay, so-and-so, I'm going to leave you in charge. If I get blacked out of the Zoom meeting, you're in charge. And the moment that I posted the link to the meeting, my power, everything just went out and it was dark. Oh, no. Yeah. So thank goodness that I sent the link and the meeting was saved, but I was perfectly safe. I have a nice place to hunker down, but yeah. Oh, smart. And luckily the tornadoes were like four miles away. So it was a good distance. Everything was well, but it was just insane that you know, tornadoes mid-December is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes in snowstorms, when they're really bad, you'll get thunder lightning. It's like lightning and thunder because of the snow. And we had some of that this morning before I headed into my office. Uh, very rare. So before we get into office work, I have to ask about the foraging of the mushrooms. Tell us about this 10-year foraging <laughs> of said mushrooms. Well, Vanessa, I don't forage for very many species, only a few that I know very, very well, 100%. I have no no question whatsoever that the mushrooms I'm getting are the safe ones. I did a lot of research, mainly using Facebook and YouTube to learn about mushrooms for many years before I decided to start even considering eating a, a foraged mushroom. I followed several mushroom identification groups on Facebook, and you learn throughout the year, all over the country and world, really, what certain mushrooms look like. I stuck with some easy ones like morels and chanterelles and lobster mushrooms and oyster mushrooms and a few others, just a handful that I know now how to how to safely forage. And oh, they're so delicious. And it's just so fun being out in the woods. It's a time to be alone. Foraging is a slow thing. And when I run and mountain bike and ski, you're just zipping by. And so foraging is my slow time and my time when I can really like hug a tree or take pictures and get to know the mushrooms. And then you have a wonderful, tasty meal. That's pretty awesome. I don't know anyone that forages mushrooms, though. I always wondered how people learn about foraging mushrooms. So that makes sense that you would use YouTube and, and Facebook and other online material. That's really cool. Have you had really awesome thoughts out there while you're thinking on these really slow walks? Oh, always, always. It's the time to think about the nature of the mind and consciousness and the big questions of the universe. And it's also a time to set everything aside and just listen to nature. One thing I do after all of my, my runs or my skis is the first thing I do is I say, thank you, Mother Nature. <laughs> and then I thank my body and then I thank my equipment. And I think foraging and just being out in nature is, is a great way to, to make those kind of natural connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And and being mindful of gratitude toward everything and everyone, whether it's a living being or not, that's a very excellent way to live for sure. So curious, are there any particular thoughts that you had out there, any epiphanies that you can recall specifically? Well, like I said before, it's an ongoing thing of what is the nature of happiness? And part of me thinks, like I said, the mystery is one of its most interesting aspects. I don't know. I don't think you can write down like a, here's a flowchart of happiness, a foolproof way to get there. I don't think there's any definite path to it. It's something that, first of all, is super personalized for each of us because we all have different backgrounds and different environments we live in. But I think there are some truths in, into how we can work towards getting to happiness and and I don't have any great epiphanies to share other than get outside each day if you can. Try to do some connecting with nature, especially if you work in technology. Try to get away from the pixels, I say. It's, we're surrounded by pixels, screens everywhere. And if you can get away from a pixel and get out into a tree or a flower, do some gardening, some foraging, that will probably help with your happiness. 
Yes. Yes. Totally agree. If you could share a message with someone that was struggling with happiness, what would you say to them? Well, so many people are, and I struggle with it and everyone does. It's part of being a human, part of our species. I like to look at something that my, my 105 and a half year old grandma Lil says, this too shall pass. That's kind of her motto. And people, when she turned a hundred five years ago, people would ask for her secrets of longevity. And that's always been one of them that I've looked to trying to remember that life is kind of a circle and bad times will through time lessen to some extent and to try to keep the totality of a bigger picture and brighter days ahead in mind that can only get you so far and it can't get you through everything that's for sure but I think trying to envision like when we have clouds or a storm above us like right here in Duluth right now I know that the sun is shining down brightly right up above where I am and eventually those clouds will pass it's not that simple but you know what I mean right yeah I do I do and I really I think that phrase is, is a very good summation of that it will pass that's a great way to think of everything because it's true you know we build our own mountains and we get stuck and we have bad days and we have really hard days. But if we focus on that one simple detail, that one simple fact, rather, that it, this too shall pass, then it puts things into perspective and we can get through whatever it is that's in front of us. So I agree with her. Oh, that is beautiful, Vanessa. It, it reminds me of something Pete Seeger said once. One of his sayings was about a, a teeter-totter with a basket on one side and heavy weights on the other. And people would come with one teaspoon of sand and dump one at a time into the basket. And that's kind of what it can be like battling depression or challenges in our lives, upheaval, changes. But if that line of people is enough and it keeps happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands, eventually the people can make that teeter-totter with that basket, overflow with sand and, and counteract the weight on the other side and make real change. Very true. And you've talked about your family a few times here. So I'm really curious to ask about your history with genealogy. I understand that you have a few years as a professional genealogist. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I did work as one of three professional genealogists here in Duluth, Minnesota for a while which I loved. And I consider genealogy and family history to be my true passion. It's what I really just want to spend the most time doing. And when I retire, I plan to spend a lot more time doing it. I enjoy it just greatly, finding out details about people. I've amassed something like, I think, 23,000 relatives in my own family tree and helped many other people find their families. And it's just super thrilling to help somebody take down a genealogy brick wall and get past a challenge that they've never been able to to get past. For me, genealogy is definitely a big source of happiness. Yeah, I'll say that's pretty amazing that you can help people figure that path out. Have you ever had anyone that only knows like one side of the tree and not the other side? So it makes it hard for them to find out more. Like, for instance, if they know their mother's side, but they don't know their father, so they don't know their father's side. Is that something you're able to work with? Oh, yeah, that's quite common. Oftentimes it'll be, you know, someone on one side has quite a bit of record, quite a bit of data, and they want to search the mystery line that they don't know much at all about. And it's funny how it does seem to be split like that in a lot of families, at least the ones that I helped with when I did genealogy. And I still help friends and family, and I still try to monitor my own. But like I said, I don't have as much time for it as as I would like. <laughs> so you said that if you could do it all the time, especially in retirement, you would definitely do that, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. And I am dabbling on a book right now. I'm working on a book about the founder of Beverly Hills, California, a man named Burden E. Green. And he's my second cousin, three times removed. He's not a super close relative, but we share the same set of ancestors. Wow. I guess my fourth great grandparents are his great grandparents. And this is the fellow who actually founded and named Beverly Hills, California. So I've done quite a bit of research on his family, starting with his ancestors in England, moving to Wisconsin. And then there was kind of this black hole in my family lore that had been passed down. I had some handwritten in pencil family trees that had been given to be me by my grand aunt. And it said, moved to LA, became wealthy. And that's for years, all we knew about this branch. I was just shocked to discover many years later, this fellow, Burton E. Green, was the founder of Beverly Hills and led a fairly fascinating life with his children and no one's written a book about him yet. And I'm in the process of doing that. It's something I hope to get out in the next couple of years here. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So what was it that inspired you to do the book? Because finding out the knowledge is one thing, but then what made you say, you know what, this is something that everyone needs to know or should know about because of blank. What was it? Most of my family history and a lot of the histories I've worked on, you don't often run into anyone who's very famous. And I was just shocked to find this person and he started to fascinate me just this week there is a connection to Beverly Hills. You know, Google, it comes out with their top search terms every year. Mm -hmm. This week, they announced also their most searched scenic spots in the, in the nation. And at number nine on that list was the, uh, the famous Beverly Hills sign. Wow. <laughs> so people are fascinated by Beverly Hills because it's where so many people from Hollywood ended up moving. Right. Like Mary Pickford and Douglas yeah, Fairbanks, them. Charlie Chaplin. I mean, you name it. Yeah. Uh, my cousin founded it. That's so cool. I really look forward to, to doing more work on. Talk about a party conversation, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> You're like set <laughs> I, for life. It doesn't sound real, but uh, somehow, I don't know, maybe it's my positive attitude and I willed it to happen, but I don't <laughs> think so. It's just, you can't choose your ancestors, but... When you find an interesting one, you can write a book about them. Yeah, I kind of like that. You can't choose your ancestors. I want to see that on a bumper sticker. Right, right. It reminds me of a famous cartoon. It shows two genealogists at a set of graves in a cemetery. And one is Adam and one is Eve. And the one genealogist tells the other, well, I guess this about wraps it up. That's the end of their genealogy work. Although, of course, with DNA, we're all related and it's a whole different area of genealogy, which I've tried to keep up with. Very fascinating stuff. So are you planning to do anything with Google or notify them or tie them in in any way as far as like when the book comes out? You know, I am in touch with folks at the Beverly Hills Historical Society. And depending on when the book would come out, yeah, I might do something with Google with the Beverly Hills sign. We'll see. Thanks for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a million and nine. Kind of like one of those muses, Excellent. you know, that just throws them out and then doesn't retain them. But, you know, is what it is. California history is, is really cool. I think that it's amazing how when you're in Los Angeles and you stay pretty much anywhere, if the hotel is historic enough, there's so much history. Where was it that I stayed? I think I stayed at the Biltmore. So much history there, you know, with, uh, I think it was what, the Academy Awards, I believe. So huge, huge pictures everywhere. And then Black Dahlia, of course. I didn't know about the Black Dahlia until my last night there. Maybe that's for the best, huh? Oh, yeah, because there was an incident, I guess, the, that night. And I thought, wow, that's very, very similar. 
Ooh, yikes. Moving on, though, to happier things. I think that family history is amazing and you could possibly make your own show with all the stuff that you've learned and all of the people that you've worked with, probably, you know? Hey, that's definitely an idea. There are so many podcasts these days and yeah, I might do that. It's like there's so much possibility, whether it's audio or video or, you know, short form content, which is something that Are You Happy is based on and Happy Productions does short form content. So like you were saying earlier, you know, the transition from the the days of yore where, where it was just static internet pages all the way up until now with all the various methods of communication the possibilities are endless for you as far as what you can do with that. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. So speaking of technology, tell us everything. You are from before the internet existed. Tell us about that. It was completely different. I'm one year younger than when the internet started, which was 19... 67, I believe. And I was born in 68. But the web, however, which a lot of people conflate with one another these days, you say the internet, you mean the web. And I long (laughs) gave up trying to be a stickler about that. But when I first started out in in 1984, the internet was mainly the domain of research institutions, schools, certain companies, the military, some think tanks. You would use FTP, file transfer protocol, to log in via telnet to remote terminal. It was entirely non-commercial. No advertising was allowed at all. As a matter of fact, if anyone did send a digital transmission that had any sort of even a hint of commercialism, they would be reported to their internet service provider and whoever had their node on the internet, they would usually be banned forever. So we really have come a long way. I mean, I work in marketing, but that's definitely one of the biggest changes I've seen. There have been many others. I mean, we're getting into the, the metaverse and oh, there's just so much going on with AI, chatbots and image generation, video generation. Yeah, AI is crazy. It's a lot. It's a lot. Right. Well, you know, digital asset management is another passion of mine. As a genealogist, I've collected something like 220,000 photographs from people give me their albums to digitize. And over the years and decades, I've amassed this massive collection. And how do you keep track of it all? Well, digital asset management you can use for your personal photos as well as in business. And And so for each photo that I have, I've made it a point to answer certain questions. The basic who, what, when, where, and why for everyone and tag whoever is in it, whatever is in it. So I can search. And when somebody dies, oftentimes family members and friends ask me to send them, here's a private album of all the photos that I have of that person. And I can do it in just a second. What do you see as like the next thing that's going to be important to everyone? Oh, that's such a tough question. I think it all comes down to looking at what isn't going to change, and that's communication, how we talk to each other, Mm -hmm. how we write to one another. The other things will come and go, but I think there'll be new and fascinating ways to communicate, but maybe it'll be more of a focus, a greater focus on what's being said rather than how it's being said. So when it comes to like innovation for technology or even the internet or anything, anything involving technology, are they invented because we necessarily need them? Like, are they to serve a purpose or a function? Or is it more so just, you know, happenstance that this random thing found. And so we're now we're just going to build it and make it happen. What do you think? Uh, boy, human creativity is just 
boundless. And some of them I think are just because they can be done. I suppose the most interesting ones are if there's a new way to actually share things. And you know, that's how so much of social media began, you know, with short form content and sharing memes and animated GIFs and everything. It's a fascinating question. And I just want to ride the internet. I'll be hitting 40 years on the internet in another year or so. And I don't know, the more I, it's been a part of my history, in a way, it seems like it's, everything's been done, but in, in other ways, it seems just utterly surprising what is coming next, the new surprising things coming out. Yeah, that's true. The more that you think that it's done or that everything's been done, there's there's always something around the corner, it seems. Right. And you know, one of the interesting things I've noticed in almost 40 years of online communications is when I started out, it was so rare to find somebody who had a personal computer in their mm. own home. Very few people did. They were a few businesses or schools, but it would just be amazing if you found a friend who had a computer and then if they had a modem to connect connect to another computer that was just oh, <laughs> the odds of that were just crazy and my little address book that I used to have I wrote whether the person had a, a modem next to their name and I still have my little address book and now however everyone is online pretty much the latest study from Pew came out recently and the amount of people in the world who, who don't have internet access is just dwindling yeah and it, it's interesting to see you know younger people who have had the internet their entire lives Oh, I know. I, I like to tell my coworkers sometimes that I have emails that are older than you. And it's true, <laughs> I do. Uh, I have collected all of my emails going back to the 80s, back before the web started. Are they still readable, though? Yeah, I, I converted them to text format, to modern format. I think my oldest one is from 1984, back from my bulletin board system. You used to have to use a special program to connect to a remote computer, and it had a buffer, and it, you'd do what was called a buffer capture, where I would save it to memory, and then you'd save that to a text file. I saved those to disk, and then many years later, I broke out my disks and five and a quarter disks. I also have some eight-inch floppy drives, very old technology, but luckily they did convert and I was able to convert my digital history programs that I used to write, my old bulletin board system files, and the emails, which wow. I have in a giant archive of emails now broken down by year. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I feel super fortunate to have that legacy and I can search the whole thing. One thing that's kind of intriguing to me is maybe running it through an AI and seeing what, or at least do a word cloud to see how that's changed over the years that would be very nice to see i'm not sure if you if you watch you know tiktok channels much but there's this one where all they do is show videos from old i guess commercials for apple for different various companies ibm i think and mainly apple but they just have like yeah, yeah. all of these like displays of old apple technology right right so fun to watch. I love watching the <laughs> floppy disks. <laughs> oh, I know. I also collect old computers. I have 42 old computers in my collection going back to the 1970s. Wow. Is your wife a fan of them? No, she is not. I have to turn down new offers of new computers because we live in a very small house and most of them are in an attic out in our above our potting shed. The good ones I keep in our basement, but no more old computers. I gave that up quite a while ago. They're huge. They're heavy things and not like the watches and phones we have today. Yeah, for sure. Definitely leaps and bounds ahead, but you still have to miss them. I know that when I find even CDs laying around the house and I'm like, oh, you know what? That's a good CD-ROM. 
ROM, we should take those language files and put them on the computer, but you can't because they don't have CD-ROMs anymore. I know, I know. <laughs> so funny. It's been going on since before computers, though. I also collect old musical formats like Edison cylinders and wire recordings, which was this weird technology where they recorded music and voice onto spools of wire and oh, 78s and all those things. That's awesome. Do you feel like you were born at the wrong time sometimes? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, Vanessa. I do. I do sometimes. You know, everyone kind of feels like they have their own internal age that you see yourself as. And like I asked my grandma, Lil, who's 105, what age do you feel? And I've interviewed her a number of times over the years. And she always says, I feel 16, 16. I look in the mirror. I don't see a 105-year-old person. I see my 16-year-old self. And why is my grandmother looking at back at me from the mirror here? <laughs> but for me, I think personally, I see myself as 88 years old and I don't think I've reached my my own ideal age yet so I hope I make it and uh, maybe get to live out my destiny and can be at peace with the age I am I mean I try to be at peace with whatever age I am but yeah we all have our own kind of personal age we see ourselves as that's very true I don't I don't know that I have one I never really think about it much no no I guess just because I'm I'm just young at heart all the time and I don't really think about it I mean I'm probably latter 30s. There you go. I mean, I'm only like a few from 40, but still I don't I don't even think about it honestly cuz I just I just act like myself all the time. Age is just a number. Yeah, but that's that's interesting though. And that's so cool that she feels like she's 16. That's amazing. Oh, I know. She's an amazing person. She lives by herself in her own house. She goes out several times a week. Sometimes we want to stop by and see her, but she's out. She doesn't drive, but she has younger people take her places. And super inspirational in my life. Her, along with my wife, Julie, and my mom and my dad, who moved here from Colorado about seven or eight years ago, which is a great thing. And I'm so fortunate to have them in my life and my friends and my coworkers at Top Rank Marketing. I'm super fortunate. It all helps me to be a happy person. Yeah. Collectively speaking, you have such an awesome combination of family, of friends, of coworkers, of, of history. So yeah, you have so much going on for you and it makes so much sense why you are super happy. Oh, knock on wood. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you mentioned your current company, which is Top Rank Marketing. I did see that you are the social media and content marketing manager. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of writing for them. It's a 20 plus year old award-winning marketing agency that mainly works with really big companies in the B2B sector, doing influencer marketing and all kinds of marketing. And it's a Minnesota-based company down in Minneapolis. And when I started there, I was I think I was one of two remote workers, maybe three. Of course, since the pandemic now, the whole company is remote. And I've been working remotely for, I think today is day 5,745 days working remotely. I've worked remotely every, every day since March 23rd, 2007, when I decided to get my own office. I didn't want to have a home office, mainly because of cats. My wife and I have three cats. We have Twister, Arlo, and Kukla. And I wanted to have a separate space where they wouldn't be walking on the keyboard. And back then in 2007, remote work was 
pretty unusual, but of course now it's blossomed and we we all do it. Yeah. So many of us anyway. Well, thanks to innovation and accessibility, right? Because I mean, if we were still not quite wired up as we are now, then it would still be impossible. But yeah, good old Google Fiber and all that. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Let me back up here. You said influencer marketing. So do you work with influencers or do you guys work with the businesses hiring said influencers or how, how does that work? We do it all. We're one of the oldest influencer marketing agencies and we work with a really impressive group of influencers in so many sectors. One of the reasons I chose to work with Top Rank Marketing is that they really focus on long-term relationships with people, people who are influencers, people who want to be influencers, executives who want to be become influencers. You know, speaking of things that have changed with the pandemic, influencer marketing has really taken off and it's also with the economy, the downturn that we've seen and maybe headed into here, influencer marketing is really proving to be one of the more recession-proof types of marketing. So it's multifaceted and more big companies are using it. Traditionally, of course, it's been B2C companies, but even enterprise companies are starting to look at TikTok and the other social platforms, Mastodon and these others in the wake of the changes in ownership at Twitter, Be Real. Oh my goodness, the list just goes on and on. Yeah, for sure. Do you ever think about being an influencer yourself because you're super positive and people love you? Oh, I don't know. I don't like the term influencer. A lot of people these days are using creator, of course. I think that's more beautiful. And so I, I consider myself a creator, but it's all about what you are influential about. And our company CEO, Lee Oden, who's a friend of mine from way back, he likes to say that everyone is influential about something. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind when if you're an influencer starting out or if you're looking for influencers, the key is to just find those areas of expertise and passion that people have tapping into those. I think that's great advice. I think people listening would really love that advice. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Is there anything additional that you want to share with the people listening that we may not have touched on today? Well, you know, Vanessa, there was one thing I wanted to mention. I mentioned cross-country skiing, and it's something that we do up in Duluth, Minnesota, because we have so much snow. We get up to like 135 inches of snow, I think is our record for a season. Other areas around here get way more, but we get plenty. So last year, I set out on a quest to break the longest known streak of consecutive days cross-country skiing. And I did some research. I went on Reddit and tried to find out what the streak record was. And I found out that it was 200 days in a row, which seems just crazy from this fellow in Norway named Tom Stensiker. And, you know, the year is 365 days. How could you ski 200 days of the year? And if you live in Norway, of course, northern Norway is up near the Arctic Circle. But I live in Duluth, Minnesota. But it just so happens that we get long enough winters that it was conceivable I might be able to set this record. And I did. Last year, I I skied every day from November 13th to June 2nd this summer for 202 days in a row, somehow through incredible blizzards and super cold streaks. We had a streak where it just seemed in January and February last year, it was constantly below zero, 10 below, 20 below, windy. Somehow I made it through and had a little party with my friends to celebrate on June 2nd. And that brought me so much happiness. And now I'm super happy because I don't have to do another streak ever again in my life. So how many did you do? 
Well, I skied every day, one time every day. Actually, some days I skied more than than once, but I was just counting the number of consecutive days. So I did 202 days. I broke it by two days. Do you think that he will ever come back and try again? Or I hope he does because I feel I felt really bad breaking his record. He's <laughs> a super nice guy and I have half Norwegian ancestry and I kind of feel super guilty that I broke this record of the Norwegian and maybe he will. I hope he does come back and and reclaim the record for Norway. But I I can say I had it for a little while anyway. Or maybe you guys do it together. Maybe you can do it together. Yes, yes. (laughs) I want to go visit him. We're connected on Facebook. He's just an amazing guy. So someday. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, see, that's a journey right there. It's going to meet your new best friend. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's so interesting. So I'm so curious how it is that you, you kept yourself going and motivated through that. Because it seems like we could apply that to anything in life. So how how did you keep yourself motivated? Well, I'd done some other streaks in the past. I'd done a 140-day or 142, I think it was, a streak a couple of years back. And I'd done some streaks over, I took up running in 98. I'd done like a 100-day streak, a 125-day streak, a 150-day streak. So I knew a little bit about streaking. And the things about doing a streak is once you get into the mindset, you know you're going to get outside every day. Nothing is going to stop you. No matter what the weather is, you, you have to look at it as something beautiful, not as so much a challenge. Oh, some of the worst weather days have been the most beautiful I've ever skied. No one else is out and, and you'll see just amazing things. So part of it is just getting into that mindset of knowing first that you are able to, that your body can do this, that you're not putting yourself in danger, but having that shift to know that you're going to do it every day. Last year when I did the streak, it was the first year where I didn't enjoy one of my skis as much as I have usually. And I just usually love all my skis, but getting to the last couple months of last season, I end up doing skiing on some really nasty conditions with rocks and roots. And as the snow melts at our downhill ski area here in Duluth called Spirit Mountain, that snow usually lasts until June, but I end up doing hundreds of loops around these little snow patches at the end. And when I got close to the end, you get the incentive of pushing on towards your goal. But there were some challenging moments and I just had to keep the faith and keep pushing on and see what your limits are. You don't know what they are until you keep pushing yourself. That's so true. That is so true. Man, I I hope that we remember that. Say it again. I'm pushing yourself. uh, Nobody knows limits are until you go out there and give it a try. Yes. So I learned how to drive at a very late age just because I had an accident when I was very young. And for the longest time, I couldn't drive on the freeway. I just wasn't ready and I got anxious anytime I got close to it. So of course, you take the back roads, you do whatever you got to do, go along the regular roads. And then one day I had to be somewhere and I said, man, it would be so much faster if I got on the highway. And I was like, but you're scared of the highway. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to know if you can do it unless you do it. Did you do it? And so I did it. Oh, (laughs) how did it go? It was one of those things where it was a total panic attack. Like, what did I just do to myself? But I'm stuck between all these massive cars. So I said, okay, well, you can only do a couple things. You can breathe. You can not freak out. And you can just drive and stay in your lane and pretend no one else is there. And so I just kept exposing myself to that situation because I just knew that I could. And I just had to keep doing it to get comfortable. And now I'm fine. So it just it just took 
Oh, way to go, Vanessa. That's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Talk about overcoming. I mean, so true. So many parts of our lives, we really just don't know what we're capable of until we just put ourselves in that position. So true. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for making me think of that. My pleasure. <laughs> well, it's been amazing having you. I can't wait to see your book when it comes out. Tell us here now, please, where people can find you online, your socials, things like that. Thanks for your company as well. Let us hear it. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, you can reach me on LinkedIn is my main hangout these days. Lane R. Ellis is my name and most of my accounts. Twitter is Lane R. Ellis. The R is for Robert, named after my dad. Yeah, I am also on Facebook and Twitter and Mastodon is probably my newest one. And, and you can find Top Rank Marketing at toprankmarketing.com and our blog, which is going to celebrate its 20th year as a blog, which is in internet years, that's like hundreds of years. Wow. You can find that at toprankblog.com. Well, you've been wonderful. And thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks so much, Vanessa. And stay vivacious. Thank you so much for having me. And cheers. Thank you so much. And for all of you at home, I'm sure you will spend massive loads of time looking up exactly everything that he talked about today because it's so interesting. If you are new to technology in the last 20 years, then you certainly need to go home and do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, you guys, for joining us on Are You Happy Podcast. We'll see you next week. Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy, the docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy, the Happy Hour.